Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 11-16-2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for those who have come and devoted themselves to learning your word and growing in grace and hearing from you this evening, Father. Father, we thank you. Uh, just want to give you praise report that we are so thankful that uh, Christina, who we had been praying for, is getting better by the day. So we we thank you for the great turnaround that was was what we heard, and we, our hearts were overjoyed uh, of the fact that she has turned this whole situation around and is getting better. So thank you, Father. Also, Father, we pray for those who are still sick among us, those who may still be in pain and um, undergoing treatment or surgeries. Or Father, you know the, who's on the hearts of those, your people. So we pray for them. We pray, Lord, for our body, the, the, the Word is Truth Christian Church family. We pray also for Word of Truth. Father, uh, in Illinois, under Mike, uh, they are bringing the gospel as well. We, we, we want to support those who are preaching the gospel and helping people to grow in grace. So, Father, we also ask that you give us wisdom with the verses that are in front of us this evening. Uh, we, we are in a critical point in Romans 11, so we, pay, we pray that your spirit will t continue to teach us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. So we have been studying in Romans chapter 11, and we're in verse 25. We took a swing at it last week. We got halfway through it. We're just going to see if we can finish this last half of the verse, and uh, hopefully these are things that will benefit us as we have gone through a lot of uh, information about Israel and how Israel had been sleeping, and the spirit of slumber, and now we're at a place where we're seeing Paul turn the corner a little bit. So thank you uh, all for hanging in there. Uh, at some point, somebody might have listened to us and thought we were talking about Israel. Like, it was only Israel. <laughs> we had been on that subject for so long, but... We are at a different spot, and I think we learned a lot coming out of this thought. I, I did, anyway, so I am thankful. So let's get into it. Um, so Romans 11.25 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may, be, you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Ignorance is a problem in the time in which we live. The church is the subject of this admonition about arrogance toward Israel. For the church to take this role is important and appropriate for God. Everyone who believes in Christ in this age is ushered by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. This new creation was not on Israel's prophecy radar. It was hidden in God. 
for the church to be arrogant toward Israel is clearly a matter of arrogance. Or, I'm sorry, ignorance. That ignorance has gone beyond the first century. As I look at the church, we have much work to do with the broad ignorance of the mystery today. So we're dealing with a couple things. We're dealing with, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. And then the last part of this verse is that you may be wise. I don't want you to be arrogant. And that's where we, we, we can't cover all that we covered already. We're going to skip right on down. We're at point number three, but we'll just talk a little bit about point number two, conceited. So this, this word conceited, phronimos, is it means to be intelligent and prudent, which is a good thing, but not in your own interests, not in your own eyes. So point B is, is more a better definition, or at least we're putting it together. Uh, we are not to be ignorant of the mystery in order that we don't become wise in our own minds. And what does it mean to become wise in your own mind? Arrogant. It's okay if somebody's man, you, they could see that you're wise or you know things. But when you think yourself wise, and I think therein lies a lack of humility where you're not able to learn more. That spirit of humility keeps us in the position where we're always ready to receive more information. When we get to the point where we think we know it all, then that's where arrogance comes in. And all of us, this is not just for these first century Gentile people that Paul was talking to, or Gentile, uh, these were Gentiles, not from the standpoint of really what we say today. We say, oh, if you're a Gentile, you're not in the church. But these were Gentile, cultured people. Don't get arrogant, because you're in this place now where uh, you know the gospel. There's information that you know that Israel doesn't have. Information is power. And you could wield and exercise that power over those Jews who, of course, when they had the power... <laughs> They certainly did it. Don't follow in their footsteps. But when it says he don't want us to, they don't want to, Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant of this mystery. Because if we do, then we'll not understand how things work. We won't understand how God has put Israel to sleep and how he's calling out those many sons and then he's going to wake Israel up. That whole understanding of how things are going to go down is important for us to know. We, we, we just need to understand and be mindful of how things work. And I do get questioned, uh, when is this and when, you know, what is that? And all of that is wonderful. I, those questions, we need to be straight about when is the tribulation? Uh, when is the rapture? When is the second coming? When is the millennium? All those questions sh should be clear to us in our thinking because it's important that we have these things in order. Uh, part of the Spirit of Truth's ministry, Jesus says, and he will also tell you things to come, yet to come. So that's part of his ministry is to let us know of future events. And we need to understand how the church fits into the scenario that was already written. Like if you read the Old Testament... It skipped right over the church and went to end times, millennium, and so forth. 
Well, you could say, well, how in the world could the church fit into that? Because it was all laid out. Well, God stopped the prophecy clock, inserted the church age, and then he'll start the prophecy clock again. And so we figured that out here. But don't think it's so clear for when you talk to people. And that's what we want to do is be a source of good information, solid information when, when people uh, give us opportunity to teach. And we're ready. So this is important, right? Understanding that uh, we're admonished, admonished not to be arrogant. And that's hard. Arrogance, there's blindness if you're arrogant, because, you know, you could easily see yourself as something that you're, you're not. And you could deceive yourself. Arrogance does have that cloak of uh, invisibility. You think everything's okay. You think you're fine. It's like Jesus said, uh, uh, I have come to those who are sick, not to those who don't need a doctor, right? Everybody needs it what Jesus has. Some people just don't think they do. So that's self-deception in some ways. Think about it. They don't understand their true condition. Why? It's because they think high, more highly of them, themselves than they ought to think. So we have that, and we should be careful because, remember, even though we may understand our role, we just don't want to fall into that where we just are not having the humility we need towards others. Because that's going to put us in the same boat as the Jews were. So it's important that we, and I talk about the Jews, as, and we're getting ready to see how the Jews are going to be, eventually come all back together, and just like everything will continue just like it left off. And so we don't want to only talk about the Jews in terms of their failures. We know they're going to succeed. And so that's where we're at in point three. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. And there it is, temporarily. Okay, And not all Israel is hardened because we already saw one that Paul and other Jews, in fact, all the disciples were Jews, we're not talking about Jewish people individually, but we're talking about the leadership, the nation Israel failed. And God had to remove them through discipline. It just so happened with the timing of it all that he, it was just right around the time where he was intending to bring the church on board. So it all kind of worked out perfectly according to God's timing. So they experienced a hardening in part. We know it wasn't all Jews. And we know now also that if Jews who change their mind and want to believe in Christ, that God will include them, he will graft them back in, certainly it's fine, because their role was to be ambassadors to the world anyhow. So certainly that would be no problem with God grafting them back into that role, not as a nation, but now they're in the church, as we know. So let's, let's look at a few points Israel has experienced, the hardening in part. The first one is this is a reference to the fact that Israel is sleeping now. Quote, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they could not see and ears that they could not hear to this very day. 
and that <clears throat> so that's um and then it says as uh and david says verse nine may their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them their table is uh, the doctrines that they have what they're supposed to go out and teach the very things that they uh, going out telling people were false Remember, we used the analogy of the big lie with the Jews. Why the big lie? Because they believed that salvation could be gained through keeping the law. And generationally, that big lie held for many Jews. They believed that salvation was through keeping the law. Paul addresses that in good detail, not only in Galatians and other verses, but in Romans. He does, he does a fantastic job helping us understand what Israel's issue was. So that's the first thought. Eyes that they could not see to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap. So uh, interesting that Jews... Uh, uh, and, and, and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says the same thing. He says, every time... Moses is read, it was, it's like a veil is over their heart. They don't want to see anymore. Even though uh, it was, that dispensation was temporary, uh, they just would not, they did, they refused to see the end of that dispensation. They didn't want the end to come. So let's keep going. Point B, we have been saying all along, that Israel will fulfill God's purposes and they will perform exactly as they were foreknown. So if Israel is foreknown, you got to know that God saw victory for Israel. He saw that. He, that, was, that was what they were predestined and foreknown for, victory. So that Matthew 24, 14, and this, and this gospel, the everlasting gospel, will pre be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations. And then shall the end come. So that's Matthew 24, 14, Revelation 12, 17. It says, And the dragon was wroth, angry with the woman, and went to make war against the remnant of her seed, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So two things. Right there, the Jews are back in play in the tribulation, and they are doing their job valiantly. It, this is admirably, uh, exceptionally. They are fulfilling the calling that they uh, saw, that God first foreknew them and predestined them for. They're doing exactly what it is they were supposed to do. Point C, this hardening is due to their stubborn resistance and ultimate rejection of their Messiah. God should be God's timing of God's timing of discipline was the proper timing for the church to be born. And so we just want to look at that. I think I kind of talked about that a little bit. I'm correcting my notes here too, a little bit. So that's in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Let's look at it real quick. I know we looked at this verse, but let's look at this again. 4, 4 through 7. But when the time, when the set time had fully come. Why, why am I pointing to this verse? Because not only does this verse deal with the happenings of Israel. Like wh where was Israel in their 
disobedience and their stubbornness. Where were they? Well, they were at a pinnacle. Because not only were they resisting the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit throughout generations, received many disciplines, came back, received more disciplines. Uh, the, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom was destroyed. The southern kingdom was disciplined. All kinds of things were happening. But then they reached this place where they had rejected their Messiah. That was a pinnacle. So what happens now? They're under discipline. God uses that time to bring forward the church. So, so this is what it says. This is what we're, we're dealing with in this particular verse. So when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, this adoption to sonship speaks of the calling that we have in Christ. And just remember this. <clears throat> Even though Paul was very adept as a Jew and talking and uh, witnessing to Jews, he would, if you read Acts, you would know that. He goes from synagogue to synagogue, teaching the Jews. Uh, it it, it was his objective, not only to the Gentiles, but he had a very uh, great Jewish ministry as well. So, but when he talks, when he writes to the Galatians, when he writes to the Romans, when he writes to 1 Corinthians, when he writes to all these books, he's talking to primarily Gentiles. So that's something to note as you were, you were looking at his ministry. So he he might re that we might receive adoption to sonship. He's not talking about Israel because Israel was adopted, but as a nation, they were adopted. We are adopted on an individual basis in the church. So we are that we might receive this adoption to sonship. Now, this adoption to sonship is Roman-style adoption, like we already know, we've talked about many times, the greatest transfer of wealth and power. And it's important that we understand what God has called us to. And the sonship is not just, well, we're sons, like in the nation, Israel. We're sons in Christ. And, and we're in Christ, which is a new creation, who is the last Adam. So verse uh, 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So this is uh, the Holy Spirit. So obviously it's post-Pentecost. Right, where Paul, if anything we're seeing Paul uh, writing is post-Pentecost because he wasn't a believer like the disciples were getting that introduction in the John discourse. So, so because you are sons, he sent forth, sent the, the spirit of his son. Get that, the spirit of his son. Think about it. The spirit of his son is where the spirit gives us the not only the understanding or the, the mindset of the Son, but he puts what Christ's mindset is in us, right? That's his job, is to make plain who we are in Christ. Now, that's a, that's a whole thing with the Spirit. It's very unique ministry. It's not for the whole world. This ministry is for specifically the church. And that's here's a good description of how he... Uh, our adoption to sonship is a reference to the fact that the Spirit gives us, it, the, like it says, the very 
feeling and the understanding or the mental mindset of who the son is and that would be the father's eternal purpose and then it gives us the feeling of abba father and that abba is to say that we have such a close relationship with the father and the plan and all that we're in the center of it that that is how we can respond that is our response to all that we have uh the, that the spirit uh, in our hearts causes us to understand that closeness that that intimacy that we have with the Godhead. And then uh, verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So I like the, the diversity here between this verse and the Romans verse. So in the Romans verse, he says we're heirs, but he also mentions the fact that we have this uh, opportunity to suffer with Christ. And if we suffer with him, then we will also be glorified with him. Now, so that suffering is unique because here it is not mentioned. So what what is mentioned? So the same thing that he says in Romans, we're both heirs of God in both verses, Romans 8 and, and here in Galatians 4, we're both heirs of God. But he just doesn't mention the second part where we have to achieve that through our obedience, our growth, our sanctification, however you want to call it, our understanding the Father's plan and our willingness to commit and devote ourselves to it will grow us up in Christ and all that. And that will cause us to have, uh, to share in Christ's glory, his earthly glory, that is. So, we are no longer slave, but a God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So we're an heir of God. Not just an heir of Christ, but an heir of God. So let's go back to our, our notes and back to the Romans passage where we are. So this is, that was point um, B. We have been saying all along Israel's, I'm sorry, that wasn't point B, that was point C. So, um, and we talked about the timing and so forth and how it all worked out. All right, let's go to point number four. Point number four, until, so Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. First thought, Israel would not recognize the church but it was undeniable that God was working through the Gentiles. So this is part of the reason, this, which I go into in B, where I say I think where Paul uses the term Gentiles here more, is because he wants to make sure he appeals to the Jews. So if you look back in Acts, this is my point in Acts 15, 1 through 5. Let's look at it. Uh, we've looked at it before, but I don't think we looked at it exactly to this point. So 15, 1 through 5. So this is what we call the Jerusalem Council. So here, let me, let me get to it here. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now you've got to be thinking about this for a minute. So you got a Jewish audience teaching in the church 
this is post Pentecost that you had to do these things in order to be saved. Talk about a divided church. Talk about uh, grace being compromised. Uh, all the verses that we know, especially in Romans eleven six, and if it's by grace, then it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. I mean, to think that we have a church, right, and this is the early church, very early, and you have such division. And I'm, you know, if, it'd be one thing. If, let me tell you, if there were other religions. Uh, out there and they were trying to you know propagate their their religion and their tenets they would never put anything in there like this <laughs> this they would only put positive things in like oh and and the prophet so-called prophet so-and-so said this and he said that but all positive right so but here you get to see the raw uh, issues that were affecting those people in the church. Think about it. If you were in the church, how, what would you be saying? So let's just get a feeling of this. These people, they believed in Jesus Christ, right? They knew he was the Messiah. They put their trust in him and they have eternal life. But now as to their living, the Christian life, well, they, they think that this whole thing with the, the Spirit and coming and all of the Pentecost and the new church and new dispensation, that's all no way, they say. That's not true. We are not following that. Not only is it not true, but we're not following that. And they weren't just people walking around thinking, we're confused. We're, we don't really know what to, what to believe. No, they were teaching these things. In the church. So you're talking about people of prominence in the church saying, no, 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 I don't know what, who told you that, Paul? <laughs> Barnabas? <laughs> no way. This is what it is. And this, this is how this is going down. Think about what they're saying. Imagine if somebody in the church today taught this information. What would you say? You say, wait a minute. Oh, what do you mean teach? What do you mean you got to be circumcised? Right? What these Jews were saying is, in other words, you you can be saved if you you could be saved if you're a Gentile. However, you can't be saved and in the same body as us unless you convert to Judaism. <coughs> Excuse me. And converting to Juda Judaism, you had to be circumcised. Right? This this is part of the ritual that was a part of uh, joining Israel. Let's keep going because there's more. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul uh, and, uh, and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and elders about this question. So, notice the division. So you got some people in the church who, even though they know these things were wrong, they would not stand up to these people who were probably prominent Jews in the church. They would not stand up. They didn't have enough courage. So this got so bad that they said, we got to deal with this. We cannot be running around telling people you got to keep the Mosaic Law, then telling other people you don't have to keep the Mosaic Law. What is this? So who needs to really address this? Here it is, the apostles and elders about this question. We all got to be on the same page.
So the church sent them on their way. And they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and told how the Gentiles have been converted. And the news made all the believers very glad. And this is telling, they're telling their exploits <clears throat> when, along the way, right? So when, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders. So this is, so listen, they knew, they knew that this grace thing was true. They understood from Jesus about believing in Christ, about he was the Messiah and that trusting in him. They understood that. They just didn't have it all sorted out and it wasn't a dominant thought. So when they reported everything God had done through them. Then, verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees noticed where they were coming from. Now remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of them. And, and he converted, but these people were believers too. Right? They were part of the group that belonged to the Pharisees. Very staunch, very legalistic, what I would probably say. Very sticklers for the law. They stood up and said, the Gentiles, not should, must be circumcised and required to keep the, the law of Moses. See, this, this is interesting. So notice, it didn't say... We are the church, and that um, and all that. Now, this is post. This is Luke writing. The church sent them on their way, but notice how these people addressed the division, the Gentiles, the Gentiles. So, if you you see, this was the question of how can we assimilate these Gentiles into our body? In their mind, we we are this one body. And if they're going to be part of it, it's a Jewish body. So that means you've got to become Jewish. That's where they were. So what were they not seeing? They were not seeing what happened in verses 3, uh, 2 and 3, where they went through Samaria, all these places, and all these things. They were converting people along the way. People were receiving the good news and believing in Christ and, be, and getting saved. They understood it. And they weren't recognizing the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. That's Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. Let's look at that real quick. Because the thought is that they should have. So Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. How should we escape, this is 3, if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And here, so, so the Lord obviously did signs, wonders, miracles, right? That's why he had an audience. And then confirmed to us by those who heard him, right? Those who heard him obviously were the disciples and those who were contemporaries with Jesus and, and walked and talked to him. Verse 4. But God, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according, distributed according to his will. So God was in there trying to show people the direction of the church, right? So he could have come up and said, we, we got this new thing, it's Gentiles and Jews in one body, but the body was divided. The believers were divided. So God had to demonstrate using power to help people understand 
that this was the direction of the church. This is early on, so we, we getting, we're getting the understanding of how the Jews treated Gentiles. They did not consider them a part of their body. Not only that, they didn't understand the whole dispensation, we're in Christ, new creation, all that. None of that. They rejected all of that. So that's point B. For this reason, I think Paul uses the term Gentiles. We know uh, from the apostle that he understand, understands and taught that, quote, this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, right? uh, nor is there male nor fe and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So that's Galatians 3.28. We know Paul understood that. There's no doubt about it. So it's not a matter of, well, did Paul not know? No. Was Paul in, uh, ambivalent about using the term? Not at all. It's just that in his addressing this, right, and clearly delineating how the Jews went to sleep, how the church is in, now is, you know, grafted in, and he's helping them understand the role of Gentiles now, right, or in, in Romans when, when he uses that term. So I think that's the thought of how, and I know I had that question earlier, but I it, it I didn't fully have the thought of oh why does he use Gentiles? Well, this is this to me seems why, right? and that's how I think it worked out. Okay, point point C, Gentiles come in right. So until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, so come into what is my question. If it says come in, it doesn't tell us come in. It just says come in. Come into what? Now, we already know that if a person believes in Christ in this age, we know what happens to them. Right? We could see it here at Ephesians 1.23. This is a clear understanding of what happens exactly uh, when a person uh, believes in Christ and has the whole thing. I don't think it's... Um, yeah, Gentiles says, oh, so okay, so Ephesians one twenty three, right? So Ephesians one twenty three, and I'll go back to the previous verse where he says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything, notice, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So there, there's an understanding of who the church is, what the church is, the church is his body, the role the church has, the fullness of him, of Christ, right? So Christ, we complete Christ. Okay, so the plan is not just Christ alone, it's Christ and the church. And, and if, if, if there's no Christ and the church, then that's not the plan. That's not the Father's eternal purpose. So the, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So that is important for us to understand. Paul is the one who wrote that. He understands that. that there's no contradictions of, of thought here. He understands this point. Point D, how do we get into the body, if you ask, right? Now, what, what are some of the things? Back up to Ephesians 1.13. We're already at Ephesians 1.23. And you also were included in Christ. Now, this is it right here. This gives you straight up exactly how it works. I don't know 
any other way to look at it, right? You are included in Christ. How did that happen? And here's how it happens. When you heard the message of truth, what is that message? Is that the Mosaic Law? No, the gospel of your salvation, right? When you believe, now notice the when, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We talked about we're heirs before, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So there you have, uh, and then the more definitive scripture, well, I don't know how you can get much more definitive than that, but 1 Corinthians 12, 13, this is a key. Someone asked me, how do you get into the body of Christ? How do you get into it? Well, we could say, oh, you believe in Christ. Well, that's how you get into it. But this verse, it says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks or Gentiles or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So we're talking about the baptism of the spirit here. And the baptism of the spirit unites us to the body of Christ. That's one of the things here in verse 13 that it says it directly does. And then it says, doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, doesn't matter. We just have that one spirit that put us in that body. So if you ask, how does one get into the body of Christ? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 should be your scripture. Uh, if they want to know exactly how it works, how do you get baptized into the body of Christ? Well, then you can, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, because it tells you, well, how'd you get in Christ? Well, the, you heard the message of truth, the gospel. When you believed, you, it tells you directly, step by step. I would like to see some of the churches who look at these things say, Oh, you know, let me tell you the 12 steps of salvation, right? And but put some of these verses in it. One, you heard the message, Ephesians 1, 13. You, you know, use the verse of Scripture to say exactly just like we saw how clear that was. How do you get into the body? There it is. Point E, the Gentiles are not coming into Israel. So when it says the Gentiles have come in, we already went to the Acts 15 where we saw how they wanted, they wanted the Gentiles to come into Israel. They did not want to discontinue Israel. And these were believing Jews, right? those of Jewish descent. Believing. They did not want to give up Israel or the Mosaic Law. They did still believe in Christ, but they refused to adopt the church age, even though God testified to it, signs, wonders, and miracles. So the Gentiles, when we say the Gentiles will come in, uh, come into what was my question earlier? Come into the church, right? They're not coming into Israel. They are now part of this new creation. That's Second Corinthians five seventeen. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And in Christ, the last Adam. There's a whole lot that goes with that, which we covered. We won't deal with it much tonight, <clears throat> but the thought is never before seen. And it's interesting because the age, the information that we have in this age was hidden from Israel. If God wanted to include the Mosaic Law into our doctrine, then he would have revealed it 
during that time. But no, he skipped completely over Israel and says, no, uh, we are separate from them. He's revealed it to us. So we're going to stop at this point to see, just to see if there are any thoughts, questions, ideas out there. If you want to open the floor, we're going to open the floor. If you want to open any topic, anything we discussed about where we are, uh, the floor is open. I certainly think the message has, has clarified a lot of, of misinterpretation of this verse um, and people coming to different conclusions about what that whole number means, for example. Yeah, you know, um, I, didn't, I didn't address the number. I didn't address the number, uh, Dwight. <laughs> now that you mention it, the full number. You know what I wish? I wish that your question from the other day could be transposed into this lesson because I think we dealt with that number. But go right ahead with your thought. No, I, I, I just think it's, um, you know, I, I remember um, believing according to other religions are not really known. I shouldn't say believing, not really knowing, being confused about what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, they were supposed to be somewhere figuring out what the phone number would be. And, right. um, you know, Howard camping on one side with his numerology. <laughs> and then there were other, you know, uh, denominations emphasizing that the 144,000 is a literal number. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it just seemed like you know, they skip over, you know, what are, what, uh, you know, what are the Gentiles being called into? And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that clarity has been made before. Yeah. I, you know, I think there was a lot of misunderstanding about what they were being called into. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, I think we're almost forced to interpret these verses the way we we have um, and I know there's a lot of interpretations out there but my question to them would be how they came to those interpretations because it's very clear that there's a difference between Israel and the church and I know there there are those who defy that thinking and that logic and uh, has lumped us all together and said, oh, no, we're spiritual Israel. And, but when Paul is making these distinctions, these clear distinctions, and we're, we're not at the place where uh, the next verse says, and in this way, right? Because Israel experienced a hardening in part, temporarily, until. Right? So if you think about that word, until, so what's going to happen when you have that time word right there, is we know Israel's hardening if we go back to verses 8 and 9. Well, Israel is sleeping, they got a spirit of slumber, just like David says, may the table be a retribution. They certainly aren't the people of God. 
right? If you look at those two verses, they're not the people of God. But so Israel experienced a hardening in part until I should have probably emphasized this more in our notes, which would have been better. But until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So then what's going to happen after on the other side of that until? Because we, we got two, two events merging. Right? Israel is hard, experiences hardening in part until what? Until the church is done. Because the, the full number of Gentiles means the end of the church. Until the church is over, then what's going to happen to Israel? Next verse. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written. Now when it says, as it is written... That's not part of the mystery, because the mystery was not in the Old Testament. That verse, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away, that is in the Old Testament. Yeah, it's Israel receiving the new covenant. And you might say, well, the Jews who were in Acts chapter 15, they already understood that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That You can't associate them. Even though they rejected the church age, they still understood that Jesus is the Messiah and is the uh, type, the anti-type to all of those types that were given in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices, all that. Those Jews understood that. They knew that Jesus was the Christ. But in all Israel will be under the new covenant. They will understand it. This is where God's going to restore the nation Israel. So we're getting that into next weeks, of course, but I don't know how you can look at it in another way. Maybe show me how you could with the Now there were two times where that I can think of, I don't want you to be ignorant. One here is I don't want you to be ignorant about the mystery. That means that there's a, there is sufficient information about the mystery so that we don't have to be ignorant about it. We still have to avail ourselves of that information. Because Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. It's enough information out there about the mystery. Secondarily, the other one is where he said about spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. This is in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about spiritual gifts. This is enough information about spiritual gifts where we don't have to be ignorant. So uh, we should have a healthy understanding of what the mystery is. Now, we would have needed to start from point A in a lot of churches, but here where we are, we talk about the mystery all day long, all the time. So it would be a lot of repetition for us here to talk about the basics of the mystery, uh, the boundaries of the mystery, all those things that you could talk about. What is this? Not just a dispensation is what we think. It's our destiny. All these things are different. But we don't have, we covered a lot of that detail and it's out there. So I'm, uh, we're speaking at a more, I would say, higher level on top of all that information we already know. But I'll pause, Dwight. Other thoughts?
Um, yeah. Yes, basically. Yeah, I'm just going to, yeah. Earlier in your discourse, uh, two, two questions really, but earlier in your discourse, you had uh, emphasized the spirit of Christ. So the way you emphasized it as if it was something different than the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to make clarity of the, the reason why you emphasized the spirit of Christ. Yeah, um, I think it's just another way to say, if you were to say, what is the spirit of Christ? Uh, I would offer you this scripture. Um, this is in Romans 8, where he says, if Christ is in you, let's see, where does he say it? Um, um, let's see here. Here, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Uh, so, for some reason I was looking at this verse. Yeah. But if Christ is in you, then even though the body is because of the spirit, it gives life. Because of righteousness, that's ten. Um, oh, here it is. Here's the verse. You, however, are, this is verse 9, Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If, any, if anyone does not have, and notice, the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So there is a reference to, there's other references to what does Paul mean by the Spirit of Christ. So you, you have to know that the Spirit is here for that purpose. We call him the Spirit of God because he is God. And he comes from God, but he is the Spirit of Christ because his objective is to tell us what Christ's mind is. We get that from John chapter 16 as well. When he comes as the Spirit, this is 16, 12, 13 or so. It says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here at verse 16, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So you, even though he's the spirit of God, he's the spirit of Christ. But, but, but look at it this way. Whatever is of God has been given to Christ. That's what it says in the next verse. All that belongs to the Father is mine. What is he talking about? The Father's plan. So the Father's plan is now deposited in Christ. He's the Son. Remember we talked about Roman-style adoption. But all, whatever belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and make known to you. So we could say the Spirit of Christ. That's more specific to the Spirit of God. It, they both are specific to me because we know this... Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he uses different terms for the spirit. But spirit of Christ is another term we can use to emphasize that it is Christ. There's another verse I would think about where it says, we have the mind of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 2.16 as well. But I don't know, did that answer your question or did you have a follow-up? That was great clarity. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
So the, the other question sure. was, uh, and in this way, all Israel should be saved. Yeah. So it, it seems like you said that right after when the full member of the Gentiles come in, did that have anything to do with in, in this way? Yeah, let's go over that again. Um, so you, so in this way, meaning, this is how it's going to work, right? Remember earlier in the intro, I was start, I was talking about how important it is to know, like the sequence of events of how the mystery has been inserted, and how the prophecy clock. First of all, the prophecy clock for Israel has stopped, and then God has this brand new hidden dispensation. That he inserts, and now, uh, so so you could this could be there could be a lot of confusion along along these lines, right? So if remember when we were talking about in John in the review, I said, well, you know, the disciples were theologically challenged. That is to say, they, I mean, we didn't have to deal with that, right? We're going to live and die in the church age. They lived in the they were Jews in Israel. And they had to traverse to the church in a way none of us have to. And talk about, look, we weren't even Jews. We were Gentiles. By Our culture was Gentiles. But the Jews had a culture of God, right? God infused their culture. God created their culture. And now you're telling me there's some deviation from that? Yes. Gen they couldn't deny it. I remember in one in chapter 14, they were denying it to some degree. They couldn't believe it. So Christ says, listen, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, you know God is here telling us to go this direction. Believe it. I understand what you're saying. I, I get your point. But, well, just believe this. If you don't have anything else to hang your hat on, hang it on this. And Jesus let, laid it out for him. So that thought of them being theologically challenged was real. So we needed to understand that Israel put on hold, church inserted, this new dispensation, hidden dispensation inserted. And then after this dispensation is over, then what? Israel again. So Paul has been, he never, look, Israel was foreknown. So we cannot scratch Israel off the scene. God made specific promises to this people. They knew what those promises were. If you can count the stars above, then I will cast away Israel. If you can look on the sand, the sand on the seashore and count the number of grains of sand, if you can do that, God is saying, then I will reject these people which I foreknew for all that they have done for me. But yeah, you see these people, and they say, well, yeah, God, <laughs> he rejected Israel. They're gone. Right? Israel doesn't have a future. See, so Paul is saying, look, you need to recognize how this works, because people are going to ask you. In the time of writing, it was an issue. We saw how important it is. Don't think it won't be an issue today when you're trying to help somebody understand the times that we're living in. So when the disciples ask these questions in Acts chapter 1, he says, oh, so is it at this time, well, Christ is getting ready to ascend, is it at this time that you're going to restore Israel? 
the Jerusalem now? Is this how it's going to all work? Christ says, <laughs> I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, in other words, you just wait. He just said, you know what? Right now, you don't need to know that, right? It's not for you to know the times and the seasons the Father's put in his own hand. But you shall receive power when the spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And, um, he, he goes into this. But the idea is, can't understand it all at once. Too much for them. For the question they were asking, Jesus would have been there another four chapters. trying to explain to them. Because let the Spirit is coming. You know the Spirit is coming. Just hang on and you'll get all the information. All these questions will be answered. Guess what? They are answered. And this verse, these series of verses right here, helps us understand how, uh, just like the disciples were asking that question, it helps us put those things in perspective. And we now understand that uh, this hardness in part, right? So we saw Israel, you could say, if you're reading this, you could say, well, the church has taken over. No, you can't say that because of what verse 25 says. It says that it was only temporary, Israel's hardening. It was temporary. Yeah, they might look dead, but they're going to wake up. And, and it, when, when are they going to do it? After the full number of the Gentiles come in. See, so this scenario, and it says, and in this way. What do we mean, and in this way? And in this way is how it all works. And in this way is how the Jews will be put back on on the earth as God's people. And in this way, the Jews are going to receive Christ. Well, it's not going to be God snaps his finger and then, then all of a sudden all the Jews believe. He says he's going to turn godlessness away from Jacob. That's in our next verse. We'll get to that. He tells us how he's going to do it. And no, they're going to have to believe. They're not going to be unbelieving. They're going to receive Christ. And there's a process to this, yes. But there it is in a nutshell right there. Does that make sense, Bill? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that these verses are critical. If there's any question, I mean even the slightest one, or even if you just want me to repeat something, we need to just lay it on the table. So thank you for uh, Dwight as well. And, and the questions are good because these are questions that we need to have organized in our mind. Other thoughts out there? All right, so we are, and not only if, I, as we are, I know we got about five, ten minutes, but, we, and we're, we, we're going to save you some minutes if there's no questions, but, but the thought is, as we go further down you're going to see where in verse 28 it's coming. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Who's they? Who's they? Israel. That's who they in that verse is. Helping us orient to the fact that Israel is still the people of God. God will not 
change his mind about Israel. He, he, like I said, if Israel fails, guess who fails? God fails, because he's the one who called them into existence. Israel fails, God fails. Oh, trust me, God is not going to fail. You know why? He already saw it. He already knows. He, he's seen it already. So when we read these verses, even if it don't appear to be that way, guess what? We should just be like, well, if God said it, then that's the reality. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly how it's going to work, but I know one thing. This is how it's going to work because God already saw it. And he foreknew them. He predestined them. He did all that. They will not fail. And it helps us understand our relationship to Israel. We're not, our purpose is different from Israel. Even though we still have the same purpose in terms of gospel and the olive tree and all that, God's boots on the ground people in the world, but in terms of our purpose, it's, it's going to be different. We're different than Israel. So we have to not only understand this, but we need to persist and press on to what is the purpose of the church. What does God want us to do? Who, what does he want us to know? What are we going to be? What is our destiny? All that needs to be fleshed out so we can see it all for ourselves. This is about us. It's about us. I will pause again. Other thoughts before we close? All right. I would say silence is golden, but I know I'm not that great teacher. <laughs> so I know there's probably more questions, but we're going to close. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Let's bow our heads and we'll close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. Father, we are so thankful for this detail. You've given us clarity, uh, a place where we can look and understand your will laid out for us in such uh, clear uh, ways in Scripture. We thank you for the spirit of truth who has made these things available to us and understandable as well. We thank you for those who are here, Father, and have given their, them, themselves to understanding this. We are so grateful that you have preserved your word for us, that we can not only read it, but trust it. And as we continue in this chapter, we, we ask that you will continue to challenge us by every nuance of understanding that we will see these things in a more, even a more clear way as we go forward and understand our true purpose in Christ. All this we ask in his name. Amen. 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 All right.